Hello everyone, I'm Sen Kalp and welcome back to another episode of the Tech Sense Podcast. And as you can tell by the title of this episode, today we're going to be talking about one of the most influential artists of all time, Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift has something that the majority of artists in the music industry lack, and that's a thorough understanding of how business in music works. The truth is, the life of your favorite artist isn't as great as it seems. In most cases, the money, the cars, and everything that you think makes their life so amazing and stress-free is just a facade meant to cover up one thing, their toxic relationship with their record label. And that is what we're here to talk about today. The toxic nature of record labels, how they make money, and how Taylor Swift was able to outsmart the music industry. Enjoy the episode. Now, before we dive into this, you have to understand that record labels aren't exactly, like, light. They're definitely up there with Kumon instructors and people who clap on airplanes. And to understand exactly why these labels are viewed so negatively, we need to talk about what exactly a record label is. Think of record labels as a business-savvy Mr. Miyagi. You know, they swoop in, they find their karate kid, in this case an artist, and they promise them they'll teach them the ways of growing their music and reaching fame. They give an artist a fat check, promise them royalties, and tell them everything they want to hear, enticing the artist to sign with them. They're literally 10 times more manipulative than your ex. All you have to do is wave a big wad of cash in front of an artist, and boom, they're locked in like Gunna and Young Thug. Now, the royalties and that fat check, also known as an advance, are an important part of the business structure in the music industry. What exactly are royalties? Royalties are payments that artists receive every time their music is streamed, played on the radio, or broadcasted somewhere. Remember when you had your first heartbreak, when you locked yourself in your room and played Frank Ocean nonstop? Every single time that you played White Ferrari, artists like Frank Ocean got a small little payment in their pocket. Of course, at first glance, this all seems great. However, just like your toxic relationship with your ex, there are layers to this and not everything is as great as it seems. Now, I know all of this is confusing, so I'm going to present things to you in more digestible bites. Let's say we have this guy named Kim who's an aspiring musical artist. And Kim is the exact opposite of Amy Schuler. He's talented, like Donald Glover level talented. But the thing is, as beautiful as Kim's music is, he's having a hard time marketing his work and getting recognized by the public. Now, let's say a record label, which we'll call Borchetta Records, answers Kim's prayers. They sit Kim down and tell him, Kim, we can offer you a future that's brighter than Steve Harvey's head. Before Kim can even respond, Borchetta whips out a big wad of cash and jams it straight into his mouth. They tell Kim, Kim, we can give you everything. We can give you a studio, market your music, anything you need, we can give it to you. And on top of that, you get to keep that stack of Benjamins we just shoved in your mouth. All you have to do is sign this paper right here. Like anyone else is in Kim's position, he gives in and just lets that pen glide across the paper. And man, Kim has no idea what he just got himself into. Let's take a look into Kim's contract. Sabor Shutter Records signed Kim with a $2 million deal meaning that wad of cash in his mouth is actually worth $2 million. But the thing is, that $2 million advance isn't permanently going into Kim's pocket. That advance is actually a loan. Kim has to use those $2 million to get studio time, make music videos, purchase antidepressants, and fund any possible child support he may come across during his career. Kim is going to have to pay that $2 million loan back using the royalties he earns. The majority of the time, record labels do an 80-20 split with their artists meaning the record label only gets to keep 80% of the revenue from royalties, while artists are only making a measly 20%. 
But the thing is, the loan itself isn't considered paid off until Kim repays the loan amount using his 20%. Even if the record label starts to profit from their 80% cut, Kim can't pocket any of his 20% royalty share until he pays Borchetta Records their money back. To put things into perspective, with a royalty of 20% on top of his $2 million deal, Kim will need to make $10 million from his music in order to resolve his debt. Then, once that debt is paid off, he can start providing for himself. If you're a little skeptical on the math, I'm Indian so I can assure you everything is right. I took my first steps inside of a command center, just trust me with the numbers. Unfortunately, the corruption doesn't stop at the unfair payment distribution. You see, when Kim signed with his record label, he also unknowingly gave away his rights to something called a master recording. In the music industry, there are two parts to any song or musical piece that's created. There's the composition, and then there's the master recording. The composition, like the name implies, is the underlying composition, the beat, the lyrics, and so on. Typically, the composition piece always belongs to the songwriter. The master recording is the official recording of the song. It's the final product that you hear at concerts, on the radio, online, etc. Think of the composition piece as raw cake batter, while the master recording is the baked cake. If Kim shows up to a family gathering with a baked cake, what are the outcomes going to be? Fulfilled taste buds, higher cholesterol, all the good stuff. Now, if Kim shows up with raw cake batter, what are the outcomes going to be? Disapproval, salmonella, and probably a couple of requests from his aunts and uncles to get an IQ test. I'll let you decide which one is better to own, the cake batter or the cake itself. Whoever owns the master recording has legal rights to the song and controls which movies, shows, and events that music is licensed to. Additionally, those who own the master recording collect the majority of the royalties. The master recording is an asset. It's where the money and freedom is at. And Kim's idiotic self just gave it away to his record label. In Kim's case, he just signed away the master recordings. Now, this means that Borchetta Records owns the final product and can keep a steady stream of hefty royalties for themselves. Record labels are like Tristan Thompson. They cheat on people left and right. In this case, the record label hit Kim with the Will Smith and LeBron combo. They slapped and dunked on him. However, as corrupt as the system may seem, Taylor Swift was able to find a way around all of this. When Taylor was 16, she was signed to Big Machine Records, and part of her contract required that she signed away her records to her masters, which was the same exact position that Kim was in. By the time her contract expired in 2018, she was ready to move on from Big Machine Records and sign with a new label that would let her own her masters. However, when you're Taylor Swift, Nobody wants to lose you, especially Big Machine. So her record label started playing a little dirty. Around the time when Taylor's contract expired, the label was purchased by Scooter Braun, a well-known music executive for around $300 million. Okay, that's great, but like who is Scooter Braun? If you ask any Taylor fan about Scooter Braun, they'll immediately tell you their love for him falls shorter than Kevin Hart. Scooter and Taylor had a lot of rocky history before all of this. And now that he bought the record label, her master recordings were under control by someone she simply could not stand. With their music under Scooter's control, Taylor had no freedom to use her music as she pleased. Even when it came to her Netflix documentaries, which were all about her musical journey, Braun blocked the licensing rights in retaliation of Taylor trying to leave the label. Then, the man proceeded to cash out and sell Taylor's master recordings to a private equity firm for $300 million. He for real sold her music to a company that's barely involved in the music industry. To put things into perspective, that's like if I sold my mom's chicken tikka masala recipe to IHOP. The taste of India isn't compatible with undercooked pancakes and booger-infested tables. 
However, despite all of this adversity, Taylor was able to push through and pull off some chess-level business moves. Remember how I said that composition recordings are like raw cake batter and that generally all original songwriters own their compositions? Taylor realized that since she still owns the cake batter of her old songs, there's really nothing stopping her from just baking another cake. She could take that old cake batter and make a new cake that is similar, but yet much better. Basically, what I'm trying to say is that she realized she could legally re-record her old songs and release them under her control. Now, a business move like this has so many positives. For one, she now owns her master recordings, which means she's making more money and has complete control. Secondly, Taylor's musical skill has grown exponentially over the years, so these re-recorded albums are bound to sound better than they did before. The production is better, her voice is more full, everything is just perfect. And most importantly, a genius move like this completely cut out competition from the people that are out to get Taylor. See, Taylor has a cult-like fan base. If she tells fans to boycott old recordings and listen to the re-releases, they're gonna listen to her. Even from a corporate perspective, entertainment companies are going to want to work with the music that Taylor owns because it let them build a relationship with Taylor themselves. These album recordings have been extremely successful. Red, Taylor's version, saw over 90.8 million global streams in one day, which completely broke Spotify's streaming records. But now, this brings us to the question of why we're talking about this today. The purpose of this episode was to draw a line between talent and intellect when it comes to the business world. In business, especially with entertainment, it's crucial to have a sense of self-awareness. Understand yourself and your surroundings. Acknowledge your strengths and your weaknesses. If you have a beautiful voice, but don't understand how the business of the music industry works, own up to that weakness and find a way to close that gap. Creative passion is something that is so beautiful, yet incredibly fragile. As beautiful and expressive as music can be, it could lose its value and purpose the second becomes infected with these aggressive corporate agendas. You can fall off and lose everything just like that. I mean, look what happened to Lil Pump, Fetty Wap, Ja Rule. You know, I could keep going and make a list longer than Nick Cannon's child support bill. Longevity in music is hard to attain, but an amazing voice can only get you so far. If there's one lesson you should take away from this episode, let it be this. Regardless of where your aspirations take you, learning the game is just as important as practicing the art. Thank you for listening. Yeah.